Uh, and, you know, it's funny how God's providence works. That song had just come up this morning on the YouTube playlist, and I was just reminded anew of the simplicity of that prayer of consecration, that we would surrender all to Jesus and follow him where he would go. So thank you so much for playing that. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are not in 1 Corinthians yet. That'll be in a few weeks. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, while you're doing that, let me just sort of catch us up for those who are just joining us for the first time in a while. Um, we are, as Pastor West said, moving through our what has kind of become a regular thing now in January is where we remind ourselves of our mission statement here at Crosspoint and the need that we have to make disciples, uh, what the Bible says about that, how we can be better disciple makers and ourselves better disciples. And so we're finishing that up today, and Pastor Wes wanted us to spend a little bit of time focusing specifically on evangelism, uh, this practice of telling people about Jesus and who he is, what he's done, and um, how we might know him and follow him. And this practice, I think, is not always easy to do, not always consistently done, and so I think it's good for us to take some time to do that. We certainly know that people need to hear about Jesus. There's no shortage of lost people, no shortage of uh, people who need to be changed, uh, I mean, ourselves included daily by the truth of the gospel. And so we want to talk about evangelism. Uh, but as we do so, you may be thinking, and, and maybe have some thoughts that I do, that um, you've been looking out over the culture, the world, the last 10 to 20 years, and you've noticed some shifts, particularly here in America, noticed some changes. And let me just mention a few of those you might have noticed. It's not an exhaustive list. Uh, you've seen perhaps the rise of the religious nuns. That's the N-O-N-E-S, people who have no religious connection, uh, none of that. They're just sort of out there doing their own thing. Uh, we're seeing growing hostility toward the exclusivity of the gospel. It's okay if you want to talk about God, but problems arise when you say something about Jesus, particularly Jesus being the only way. When you get exclusive, then people get upset. Uh, we've seen an increased pressure uh, in our culture toward pluralism, the idea that, well, your way to God is fine, and your way to God is fine, and let's just all sing kumbaya because we'll all get there together in the end. And anybody who wants to go against that and, again, say something like Jesus is the only way, now we become the pariahs. Uh, we're also seeing a rise in what I would call sort of blatantly anti-God, anti-Bible um, organizations, legislation, things like that. And we may be tempted as a result of those trends to look out on the world and just kind of conclude that the day of evangelism is behind us, that the days of going out and just saying, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Those days are gone. The days of revivals, tent revivals, um, the days of just people being interested in the Lord, those days are behind us. You may be tempted to think that no one cares about Jesus anymore and that no one will give you the, the time of day to tell them about Jesus. And as a result, many of us, I think, begin to foster this idea of all we need to do is just sort of, as the church, hunker down, close the doors, and wait for Jesus to come back. That just sort of pull into our little bubbles, let the world go to hell in a handbasket, as we say, and we'll just wait for Jesus. And I sympathize with that mentality. Some days I don't even, I just prefer to stay inside. Like, I don't even want to face what's going on out there. But if we determine that evangelism is no longer appropriate or no longer a possibility, then we misunderstand and we miss an opportunity 
to proclaim good news to people who are so desperately in need of hearing it. And we also neglect this task that God has given us. You know, Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5 that the church consists of people who are reconciled to God, going out and telling other people how they can be reconciled to God. And it's this twofold nature of being and proclaiming. We, we are being because we are reconciled, and we proclaim to other people how they might also be. And that task has not changed. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And so what I want to show us today and make this argument from 2 Corinthians 5 is that despite a changing culture, the church's responsibility for evangelistic proclamation remains unchanged. In other words, no matter what happens out there, our task and our responsibility for evangelistic proclamation remains unchanged. That's the argument I want to make, and hopefully you'll see that in our text today. So stand with me in the honor of, of reading of God's word here. Let me read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm sure it's a familiar passage. Beginning in verse 16, if you're there, say word. Verse 16, Paul writes this, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we uh, bow before you and recognize your authoritative word. It's perfect, and it speaks to us today. So help us to hear, help us to understand, and help us to receive that we might be people known for their passion for evangelism, known for their eagerness to tell anybody and everybody about Jesus. Hear our prayers today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me begin this morning. I'm going to make a sort of a logical progression through this argument. And I want to begin first off with the basic problem for all people of all time, and that is alienation. Okay, the same problem that has always plagued us is alienation. Look again, let me read just verses 17 through 19. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Paul teaches us here that a core component of what Jesus was doing on the cross was reconciling us to God. Now, think logically with me here. If we are in need of reconciliation, then that means at some point we were not reconciled. Or to say it another way, we were at one point estranged or separated from God. I mean, it just makes logical sense. If we need to be reconciled, it's because we at one point were not. And in fact, Paul makes that argument for us. Uh, write this down, Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 12 through 16. Let me just read them. Paul's writing says, Remember that you Gentiles were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Love that verse. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And again, in Colossians 1, verses 21 and 22, he says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, notice, not you who were wonderful and worth saving, no, you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The Bible teaches us that every single person is separated from God. We're born that way. We don't sort of start out good and then tank at adolescence, you know, when we get sort of stubborn-headed. No, we come out of the womb already at the bottom. We are born separated from God. And because of sin, we are estranged from God. We may not use that word often, but we are estranged from him. We are separated or removed from him, having no relationship with him. And we're also under his judgment and his condemnation because of sin. That's, we are estranged in, in that our relationship is one of hostility, is the word Paul uses. But also in Colossians 1, the verse that I read, Paul here describes that our alienation, it doesn't just include a sense of the, ge- the geography of here, of where we are and where God is, but it's also a sense of our nature. He says we're hostile in mind. We're doing evil deeds. In other words, in our alienated condition, which is who we all are pre-Christ, we are completely consumed by sin. We're living in hostility to God. In Ephesians 4, 18, Paul says this of unsaved people. He describes them. He says, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Now, not a, not a rosy picture of people, of us, pre-Christ, but it is the truth of who we are by default because of sin. Now, that assessment of human nature doesn't really hold in the common world that we live in. This idea that everybody is flawed, this idea that everybody is fundamentally sinful or a problem. Uh, perhaps you know people who have this, this notion that, well, most people are, if you dig down deep, they're okay. Most people here, particularly here in the South, most people, they're just good folk, okay? If you dig down deep, they may do some questionable things, but fundamentally, most people are good. That's, that's a common thinking here. And yet, all you have to do is turn on the TV or read a newspaper, or for crying out loud, go to Walmart, and you will learn real quick that people are not fundamentally good. Take a trip to Walmart, particularly in the evening, and just experience it. And you will find that whether it's here in Baton Rouge or anywhere around the world, our world is filled with all of these expressions of sin. I mean, crime and murder and wars and injustice and Um, genocide and all of these things that happen 
how do you explain a world full of supposedly good people that looks as disastrous as ours? Well, common excuses today would be, well, it's education. We just get people more educated, then all these things will go away. Or it's poverty. If people just had more money, things wouldn't be this way. Crime would go away. Well, if we just had a new administration in the White House, we'd fix all our problems. The problem is that we identify the problem as being external. You know, that people look around and they say, look at all that's going on. Well, it's because this system is broken and we don't have that thing over here and this thing over here. And we, we identify the problem as being external. It's everybody's basically good. It's just the, the, the system around them is messed up and therefore they go off course. But Paul's assessment here in 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 4 shows us that the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem is not external to us. The problem is internal. All of us, we come out of the womb condemned. Sin has broken the entire system. And we are alienated from God because of our sin. We stand condemned. We are under judgment. We are bound for hell. I know that those Maybe that's not, you know, friendly talk these days, but that's the truth from Scripture. We are depraved, and the fruit of that depravity is what we see throughout history. That's why if you look throughout history, you'll find all sorts of people who were highly educated doing the most atrocious things to people. The people who were the most wealthy in the world killing millions of people. It doesn't matter what the system is around us, whether it's um, perfectly just or everybody's got money or everybody doesn't. Sin finds its way out. And we see that all throughout history. And what that means for us as we think about evangelism, as we think about going out to people who don't know Christ and we tell them about Jesus, we have to keep in mind that our greatest problem in life, the greatest issue that we have is not a small bank account, although I'm sure we'd all like a bigger one. It's not a small bank account. It's not the shortage of job opportunities or anything else like that. Our greatest problem is that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and we are completely unable to save ourselves. And I begin here because where we're going is to make the argument that we still need to be about evangelism. And to get there, we have to start here by realizing that even though we are some 2,000 years removed from Paul's letter here, times haven't really changed. People are still fundamentally flawed and under sin. That's the biggest issue. Cultures change and governments change and all that, but as we think about going and reaching people for Christ, we have to, have to keep in mind people's true condition. So as we think about taking our evangelistic message, we have to take on the one hand the idea that uh, people are sinful and flawed. We don't want to sugarcoat things. And on the other hand, the reality of sin and judgment. Now, I know that I don't like confrontation. You know, things get tense. I'm the guy that just sort of walks out of the room. I don't want to deal with it. And so if you're like me, the temptation is in evangelism is to water down the gospel, to sand off the prickly edges, and to get rid of any talk that might offend, the notion of sin, uh, the notion that you are not as wonderful as you think you are, the notion that we might actually stand condemned in front of the God who determines all things, that as wonderful as I think I am and all the good things I do, that might not actually be enough. And so we tend to sand those things off, to try to reduce the gospel message down to God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, yes, yes, he does. But if we don't take in our message the true condition 
of lost people and the consequences that they face of an eternity in hell because of their sin, then we preach a half gospel. And so as we think about evangelism, maybe you've identified someone in your, in your family or maybe in your work this year. Uh, we've talked about who's your one. I want to encourage you and challenge you to take with you this essential component of the gospel. You know, they, they make the, the statement, you know, it's not good news unless you have the bad news. The bad news is we stand condemned and we're alienated from God. The good news of Jesus isn't really good news if you don't start with that. If you go to lost people and you say, you're actually really great. Things are going well. Here's just a little bit extra for you. Why would they need it? Why would they want it? Oh, we have to go with the truth that we are condemned and that we need forgiveness. Now, I'm sure you've all seen on corners those people with bullhorns yelling at everybody that walks by that they're going to hell. That's not what I mean. Those people are infuriating to me. They look nothing like what we see in the life of Jesus or the apostles. But at the same time, Jesus was not one to pull punches. We must be honest with people and frank with them. The reality is we stand condemned. That's the situation. People say, well, I just, you know, my job failed and I got these issues. Those are real issues. But the fundamental problem is alienation. Okay, apart from saving faith in Christ, we are alienated from God. doesn't matter if it's the year 22 AD or 2022 AD. We have the same problem. But though the problem hasn't changed, neither has the solution. Look with me again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. I want us to see the same solution here is reconciliation. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. If our fundamental problem is alienation, then the solution must be a reconciliation. If we are far away from God, if we're separated him by, from, by, from him by sin, then the answer must be a reconciliation, a bringing us back to him. And, and actually, that's exactly what God provides. Paul says that in Jesus' work on the cross, what God is actually doing is reconciling us to himself. And he uses this language of not counting our trespasses against us. That God is reaching out and taking us and bringing us back to himself. Not leaving us where we are, not counting against us our trespasses, but bringing us to himself. Now, if you have in mind for reconciliation this idea of two parties sit down at a table, everybody shares their grievances and agrees upon a set path forward, that is not the picture here in 2 Corinthians. Paul does not mean that we and God come together, agree on our terms, and agree to a certain path forward of things that we'll do and the things that God will do. That's not at all what's going on here. Paul has in mind here reconciliation that is entirely one-sided. Because notice he says, God, uh, God, through Christ, God reconciled us to himself. He doesn't say through Christ, we all agreed on something. Through Christ, we came part of the way and then God came along the rest of the way. No, he doesn't say that. One writer describes it this way. He says, God and man are not on equal terms in relation to reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is not reciprocal in the sense that both equally become friends where they were enemies. The supremacy of God over man is maintained in every respect. We didn't come up with the best that we had. We didn't get ourselves 80% of the way, and then God comes down and takes the final 20. No, Paul says that God was reconciling us to himself. That's why we sing one of my favorite songs, Love Lifted Me, you know. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters, what did he do? He lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, what? Love lifted me. That's, the, that's why we sing that. It's not I was sinking and then I got a little bit more energy and floated to the top and did something like that. No, no, no. It's when nothing else would help, love lifted me. When all of my best efforts, all of my religious uh, business and doings and comings and goings, all of the things I had learned, the best I could do, when none of that would help, God reconciles us to himself in Jesus. That's why at the heart of this gospel message that we go out and we tell lost people is this simple fact. God saves sinners who can't save themselves. It doesn't get much simpler than that and yet much more profound. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 10 days, 10 years, or 80 years, I hope that you hear that and you think, wow, God saves sinners who can't save themselves. If we move beyond that, we've lost something. That's what we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Paul says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and set us on a good path to make it the rest of the way. No. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's God who has done the reconciling. God who has reached out single-handedly, taken us from the mess we were in, and brought us into life with him. Our need is to be reconciled. How in the world can that happen? Paul explains it here in verse 21. It's through the death of Jesus. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. More incredible facts here about the gospel. Jesus comes and lives the perfect life we couldn't do, dies the death for our sin that we ought to have done, And in this incredible event of justification, God looks at us, declares us to be righteous, not because of our own efforts, but because of Christ's righteousness, forgives our sins, and brings us into a relationship with him. All of this is because of what Christ has done on the cross. Maybe you've heard it referred to as the great reversal, that Jesus takes our sin, dies for that. We get his righteousness. What an incredible turn of events. We are changed. We are reconciled to God. No longer dead in our sin, but alive in Christ. That's why he says in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a better version of himself. No. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's got some wonderful New Year's resolutions. No. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We need to be brought to God, not as we are, but made new, reconciled to him. Earlier I mentioned some of the 
the problems that are, are, are listed as why the world is the way that it is. And if you think in worldly thinking as those being the problems, then the answer becomes, well, we just need new political agendas. We need s new social programs. We need better education, higher minimum wage. If we just get those things, then everything will be better. Well, those things might be helpful, but they don't address the basic problem of humanity, our alienation from God. In other words, they don't treat the problem, they treat symptoms. It would be a terrible doctor that goes and says, well, yes, the tumor's there, but we'll just give you this instead of dealing with the tumor. No, we deal with the problem. What is the root issue? It's our alienation. What the world needs to hear is not the latest and greatest plan for world peace or economic superiority. And let me just jump on a, on a soapbox here. It's so frustrating to me when I see churches who their message is something about Greenpeace and the environment, environmental justice, or their message is about a social agenda or rights for this and rights for that. And I think what people need to hear is not how to save the rainforest. Should we save the rainforest? Yes. But what people need to hear most is about a God who reconciles lost sinners to himself and makes us new. What the church ought to be is a beacon of light in the darkness, a, a trumpet and a herald of good news in a lost and dying world. The answer for lost people is not to become a better person, but to become a new person in Christ. That's what we need to be about. Our evangelism, as I said earlier, has to include the, the aspect of sin and judgment, but it also must include the saving work of Jesus. Now, that may seem common sense and normal, like, duh, we're supposed to tell people how to be saved. But how often might we be tempted to make evangelism about, hey, you should come to church more often. Uh, hey, here's a list of things that you ought to do. Here's some things you ought not to do and some new things that you ought to do. Okay, evangelism is not uh, preaching church attendance or religious identification or some new moral life. Are those things important? Yes, but that's not the gospel. So as we go out and we preach to the, the gospel to people, what we're preaching to them is a new life in Christ, being changed by Jesus. And if we just sort of reduce it down to stuff, more things to do, we're not really preaching the gospel. Think about that as you've maybe identified someone that you want to share the gospel with this year. Someone's on your heart and you know you're praying for an opportunity. As you get an opportunity, what we're really sharing with them is you can be a new person. You know, all the, the, the baggage that you have, all the issues, all the, the, just the, the destruction that has come from sin in your life, Jesus makes that new. It's an incredible message to people. You know, we're all good at putting on a face. Lost people, same as us. Putting on a face, everything's fine, everything's fine. And yet it's not fine. If you've been walking with Jesus, uh, particularly if you got saved later in life, you know what a lifetime of sin can do. A lifetime of running for Jesus. People are in that boat, and they need to hear this incredible truth about God reconciling us to himself. Regardless of age or ethnicity or language or religious background, every single person has the same fundamental problem of sin and alienation and the same fundamental need for reconciliation. That's why I say, because of that, the church still has the same message, the same method for addressing this situation, and that is gospel proclamation. Look at me again, verses 17 through 20. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's interesting. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is one of the most amazing components of the gospel, I think, of God's redemptive plan. He, he doesn't have a plan over here, and he plucks us out of sin and saves us and then says, okay, now you go sit over here and don't mess things up. No, his plan includes pulling us out of the darkness, okay, saving us, reconciling us to himself, but then he says, putting us back to work for him in that plan of saving people. And he describes the work in this way. We don't have time to camp out on each of these, but let me just mention them. He says, on the one hand, there's a ministry of reconciliation. Did you know you're a minister today? You're like, I don't work for the church. Yes, but you are a minister. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation, put to work in God's plan of bringing lost people to himself. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we're Christ's representatives. People say, I'm curious what Jesus is like. Look at the church. It's the way it should be. Now, it's not always the best picture, but we are Christ's representatives. And then thirdly here, he says, God making his appeal, how? YouTube video? No. Message? No. Through us. God making his appeal through us. Paul says that our ministry of reconciliation, once we've been saved, God saves us out of that. He puts us back into the world to do what? To implore people to be saved. What does that word implore mean? It means to ask. Uh, Sometimes it's translated in the New Testament as begging. Let me give you an example. Luke chapter 5, this is a man, uh, says, While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. That's this word here. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, you imagine the, the physical toll of leprosy, the social toll, you're ostracized, the spiritual toll, you don't participate in temple life. The man comes to Jesus, a man he knows can answer the problem, and says, hey, Jesus, I just called your secretary. When you get some time, could you put me on the schedule for a healing? No. Imagine the, the emotion that you would bring to this. You finally see this man. Jesus, if you will, will you heal me? That's the idea here. We are given this ministry of reconciliation to implore people, be reconciled. We're we're begging them. We are earnestly asking them, follow this Jesus. Why would I want to do that? Look at what he's done in my life. Why would I want to do that? Because of the reality of sin. You need to follow him. Paul says we've been given this ministry here. And what that means for us is as Christians, We can't have this attitude where we just sort of cross arms and say, I hope those sinners get right one day. I know what's coming. We can't have that attitude. How would they ever get right? How would they ever know that there's something different? How would they ever be changed? As Pastor Wes read for us from Romans 10, how would they ever know those things if we don't tell them? 
That's why the method here hasn't changed. We're still called to this task of proclamation. Think about your own life. I want everybody to take a moment and think, who was it that God used in bringing you to a saving faith in Christ? Who was it that he put in your life? Maybe it was one person shared the gospel with you and you got saved. Maybe it was a long line of people, parents, Sunday school teachers. Maybe it was a friend or a co-worker. Maybe it was a pastor, a youth pastor, something like that. Who was it that you can look back and you say, that's the person. I know God saved me, but it was through that person. All of us have people like that in our lives. That's this ministry of reconciliation. Paul says, look, you're saved, and then you're put right back in the throw of it to be that proclaimer because other people need to be saved. And in God's wisdom and plan, his method is to use a bunch of messed up people to bring a bunch more messed up people out of their sin. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like your work isn't really that meaningful or you just feel like, I don't really know that I'm just contributing anything. Can I tell you that you have a role to play in a plan that started in eternity past? That you have a role to play in somebody going from eternal death to eternal life? I think that is incredible. As we go out and we share the gospel with people, you think, I mean, it's, it's just me telling them about Jesus. Yeah we, had, yeah, we had five minutes on lunch break. I told them about Jesus. It's not just that. You are playing an active role in this ministry of reconciliation. And what you don't know is God may use you. You may be the final person that speaks to someone and then their ears are open. It may be 10 people down the line, but you played a role. We are called to proclaim. We are called to make sure that someone else hears the truth that we heard. The only question is, will we be faithful to this ministry of reconciliation? Will we implore lost people to be reconciled, or will we sort of shrink away out of fear? I don't want to offend. I, don't want to, I just don't want to get into those things. Will we shrink away out of apathy? Eh, somebody else will do it. If we don't share the gospel... God will use someone else. Okay, and don't hear me say that if you don't share the gospel with someone, well, too bad for them, that's their eternity under judgment. No, if we are not faithful to share the gospel, God will use someone else. But we will miss out on the blessing of obedience, the blessing of serving in this role, and the joy of being used by God to bring someone to Christ. Maybe you think like, look, I, I, I've, never, I've never been, I've never had that encounter where I shared the gospel and someone believed. I say, then keep going. As I said, you know, Paul describes it as some plant the seed and some water. Maybe you're a planter. Maybe you're a waterer. Maybe you'll be the person that comes along and shares the gospel and someone believes, you know, and the parent's thinking, I've been saying this for 20 years. They haven't heard a thing. Whatever the situation is, wherever you are in the line, we have this incredible privilege and opportunity when we tell people about Jesus, how to be saved, we have an incredible opportunity to play a role in their eternal salvation. Going back to what I had said earlier, <clears throat> there are some, I think, who tend to look at evangelism and say, well, sure, Jesus is important. I'm a Christian. I go to church. But evangelism, I'm not convinced. You know, times have changed. This is not Corinth in the first century. This is not the 1950s. Uh, this is not anything like that. 
It's not appropriate in our culture. People, people don't like being told about Jesus. People don't like being told that they're sinful and things like that. Uh, it, it's offensive to go in and, and tell someone that their religion isn't okay, that they need to follow my religion. That's a, we don't do that anymore in polite society. Well, that sort of thinking is a result of our society, this increase in pluralism, this idea that, that who am I to tell someone that their long-held religious beliefs are not valid, are not as important as mine, and that they need to come and follow my religion? Who am I to do that? That sort of thinking is motivated by political correctness, not a genuine concern for a person's eternal life. And unfortunately, that sort of thinking is beginning to invade the church. Let me, let me give you an example of this. I was actually surprised this week as I read some of these statistics. There was a Barna report done in 2019 where they asked uh, Christians, people who identify as Christians, church people, about their views on evangelism. And let me just read you uh, the opening paragraph here. It says, Despite believing that lost people need to know Jesus, many millennials, that's roughly 18 to 35-ish, are unsure about the actual practice of evangelism. Almost half of millennials, 47%, agree, at least somewhat, that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Okay, 47% of young adults claiming to be Christians are saying it's not right to go and tell somebody of a wrong faith that they need to come and get the right faith. Now, lest we dump on millennials too bad, which they tend to get it, um, Gen X, 27%, Boomers, 19%, we'll call it one in five, and Elders, 20%. Now, let's just tease that out. What that means is, today is Sunday, anywhere in America, church, pick our church, that on average, half of our young adults and a fourth of everybody over 35 says that we shouldn't be evangelizing. That's, and then we wonder at times why the church seems to be dwindling, why churches are closing their doors, why attendance is down, why do we not see people coming to faith in Christ? Might it be that we simply aren't going and telling them? And might it be that the, the thinking of our world that says, oh, you don't offend people, don't tell them about something else, they can believe what they want, might it be that that thinking has begun to come into the church? I'm not surprised that the numbers are higher among millennials. They've grown up in it more. They are being young and form, uh, you know, being formed by this sort of thinking, but it will spread. And I want to challenge you this morning as Crosspoint to not be a statistic. Let us not be a church like that. Let us not be a church that's just sort of closing the doors in our bubble, but instead be a church that's known as those who go out and they tell people about Jesus. It's not cool anymore. It's not politically correct anymore, but it's still biblical. Let us be a church about making disciples and telling people how to know Jesus. And I'll just say, in all of my experience working in secular jobs, traveling all over the country, I'm convinced that people are still interested in spiritual things. People, lost people are still interested and ready to have conversations. We as, as believers, we just got to be looking. We just need to keep our eyes and ears open. People are looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They're looking for life. Every, all the great technology and social advancements have done nothing to cure the ache that we have for something more. Lost people are looking. And they're ready to have conversations. And it is our privilege 
to be there and to say, hey, I, I know life. Hey, I know, I know where meaning is found. I know the answer to the, the deepest yearnings that we have. Let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. What a privilege we have. People are ready to hear. Jesus himself said that the harvest is what? Scant, questionable, unsure. No, he said the harvest is plentiful. They're there. People are there. They're waiting. And we as a church have an incredible privilege to go and tell them about Jesus. There's no denying that our culture is changing. Anybody can see that. But at the same time, you know what? People today, they're just like people 2,000 years ago. We, we like to think that we're sort of, we were improved ourselves. But man, you look at our study in 1 Corinthians and all the issues that they had, and we think, man, I'm, we're just like them. But God is using a bunch of messed up people in his plan to tell a bunch of other messed up people where we could all be made new, and that's in the person of Jesus. Our culture is changing, but our responsibility for evangelistic proclamation remains unchanged. And so I just want to encourage you, Crosspoint, be about telling people about Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of, that's not cool anymore, that's not politically correct. And don't become so discouraged by the sin and the destruction that we see to think, People just don't want to listen. They don't care anymore. No. God is at work. He is still at work drawing people to himself. And if everybody had the same idea of, well, no one's interested, where would you and I be? If everybody thought that no one's going to listen, so there's no need to tell anybody about Jesus, would you and I be here today? I don't think so. Somebody in our lives back in the day cared enough Tell us about Jesus. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to be that for somebody else. What God might do with a church sold out for evangelism. What God might do in my life with a man sold out for evangelism. Not just get up here and tell you all what you ought to do. What he might do in my life if I sell out for evangelism. And what he might do in yours. So let's be that this year. Put God to the test, so to speak. God, what might you do with us proclaiming the gospel? What might we see? And let's see what God does. Let me pray for us as we finish our time together. Our Father in heaven, we are mindful just in talking about evangelism that you were good enough to us to put people in our lives to tell us about Jesus. Maybe it was parents or teachers or uh, Sunday school leaders or pastors. And you brought us out of darkness with this simple message of salvation in Christ. And now, as crazy as it may seem, you actually put us to work to go out and to preach Christ to others that they might themselves be saved. Father, we're thankful that you give us this work, a meaningful work and a significant work. And we pray, Father, for here, us here at Crosspoint as a church and us individually, that we would have a new passion, a new desire, a new sense of urgency to tell people about Jesus. Yes, the world is changing, but may you give us the eyes to see that it's just people who are hurting and they're looking. Help us to be bold with the answer and that is to be reconciled to Jesus. Hear our prayers today as we give them to you and as we seek to follow your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite the